if if you as you approach electeds, I I just advise that you have as open of a mind and come to the table willing to compromise. And if they don't meet with you, you should beat them up for it because that's that's a a pretty low hanging fruit core function of representative democracy. If somebody runs for office but in turn won't meet with the people that has elected them, they should not be in office. Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the greatest city on the planet, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Kyle Hagee, and today we have a very special interview for you with State Assemblyman Evan Goike. Now, Representative Goike represents the 18th District in the State Assembly, which is right here in Milwaukee. We are very thrilled to have Representative Goike on because he has a really interesting story on how he got involved in public service. Uh, he's one of the leading advocates for criminal justice reform in the state, and he has a really, I think, nuanced view of the city. So we talked about a lot of great things during this interview. Uh, what to expect from the divided government here in Wisconsin, Representative Goyke's passion for criminal justice reform, how the city of Milwaukee and the state government interact, what it's like for him as a white male to represent a district that is a majority people of color. One last thing before I pass it off to Representative Goyke, and that is that Bridge the City is collaborating with Milwaukee to host uh, the first political open mic event, uh, or what we're calling a political open mic. It's going to be on March 21st at Mobcraft Brewing at 6 p.m. You can go to the Milwaukee website, they'll link you to Eventbrite, get RSVP'd. And essentially, this political open mic is going to be about criminal justice reform, public safety across the, the city, what does justice look like, things of that nature. And the reason I bring this up now is one, it's going to be an amazing. Uh, event we have a lot of great um, speakers and panelists set up uh, it'll be on a topic that I think is very important criminal justice reform uh, but also it's an opportunity for you all to have your voices heard so we will be hearing from speakers but there will be a time kind of like a you know uh, stand-up open mic where people can just come up audience can come up and share their ideas on you know what they want to see in their community what their ideas are for criminal justice reform and we're fortunate enough to have uh, Representative Evan Goyke there as one of the panelists. Um, so he will talk a lot about criminal justice reform in this episode. So if you like what he has to say, come check him out at the event. Uh, and we also had another podcast guest a while back when she was running for the Supreme Court and now it's currently sits on the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin, uh, Supreme Court Justice Rebecca Dallet. So two people on the podcast. Okay, made it into the event. I'm not saying we're a springboard for careers, but there, there's evidence out there, okay? Again, March 21st, Bridge the City in Milwaukee political open mic event. You can go to Milwaukee.com to find out all the information. We really hope to see you there. Without further ado, here is the conversation with State Representative Evan Goike. Yeah, good morning. I'm Evan Goike. I am a state representative in the city of Milwaukee. I'm elected to represent the 18th Assembly District, which is north of I-94, essentially a chunk of Marquette's campus and then west to where the city meets Wauwatosa. And then it goes as far north as Capitol Drive in the Sherman Park neighborhood. 
I am uh, was just sworn in to my fourth term, so this is my seventh year in the State Assembly. Going forward, serving on the Budget Committee, the Joint Committee on Finance, and the Committee on Corrections uh, in Madison. And obviously you weren't born and then just became a politician immediately. So what did you do before? Uh, this can be as long-winded as you want, <laughs> but what brought you to this current role? Yeah, and well, it's, it's, it's the same reason that brought me to Milwaukee. You know, I studied uh, government and politics in college, and um, I was going to go into the Peace Corps. And I had applied and been accepted, and I was actually going to go to Morocco. And, and so I was going through the paperwork and the kind of getting, getting ready and getting, um, you know, prepared mentally. And I just didn't feel like I could do it or... Uh, you know, I wish I had a better reason, but I just kind of panicked and I decided to go to law school. Uh, and so, you know, uh, like most people, they panic and they go to law school. Uh, and that's what brought me to Milwaukee. I went to Marquette University Law School from 2006 to 2009. And I've said this very openly. At the time I moved to Milwaukee, I, I knew very little about the city. I grew up in Madison, and so I thought that I would go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison Law School and, you know, stay in, in Madison. And in many different ways, I wasn't ready for Milwaukee. It was a, a, you know, I moved to 17th and Kilbourne on campus. I was nervous about moving here. And then once I did, it just, it has been, I just fell in love. You know, I just, there was no turning back. And uh, after I graduated law school, I was offered a job to go back to Dane County and be a prosecutor or to stay here and be a public defender. So two very different cities, two very different roles in the criminal justice system. And um, by that point, I had decided that Milwaukee was where I needed to be, where I wanted to be. And uh, so I stayed and I became a public defender. And uh, that experience in Milwaukee really shaped the urgency for me to run and and where to live and where to what community I wanted to be a part of long term, and uh, and so then I ran in 2012 and was elected. And so you just mentioned being a public defender. I know you were part of the, the street law project and also right. taught some courses in relation to that. What what did that teach you? And has that led to a passion about criminal justice reform in the current position? Yeah, I think there's no better preparation for, for any job that requires you to think on your feet and to speak than being a teacher. Man, going into uh, talk to freshmen, sophomores in high school and teach them substantive law, prepare them for a mock trial, it was a test. The street law program is a collaboration between uh, high schools in Milwaukee and Marquette Law School. I participated as a law student and then taught the program as an adjunct faculty after I graduated. If you can't get a, once you can get up and talk to ninth graders, uh, there's no jury in Milwaukee County, there's no group of assembly members or committee or uh, anything that, so, so what it did to me is I grew substantially that year as a person. The, the street law program, my work in, as a public defender, uh, exposed me to the criminal justice system, something that I hadn't really ever dealt with personally. I mean, I'd been pulled over I'd, for probably valid reasons many of times as a young man, but you know, I had never really experienced the system the way that my neighborhood and my district experienced the system. And being a, a public defender really, I think, forever uh, changed my trajectory in politics and really passionate about reforming the criminal justice system. It segues well into my next question. With a new administration coming in, but a divided government, what are some issues that you think 
can move forward? What can Wisconsinites expect in the next four years to get done? And is compromise going to be possible? Yeah, well, first I'd start by saying things are very different on a daily basis in the state capitol. What Governor Evers and Attorney General Call and the other constitutional officers bring, besides being a daily microphone to the issues that the, are central to the Democratic ideology, they also have their entire cabinet secretary. All of the major departments and agencies are now staffed. There are, of course, many people that are retained from Republican to a Democratic administration. But let me give you an example. Inside baseball stuff. Yeah. Uh, the we, yeah. Ooh, okay. Here you go. Here's how government works. If I want information from the Department of Corrections, uh, I go through someone whose title is legislative liaison. That means exactly what it says. They interface between the agency and the legislature. And, you know, when the agency is headed by a Republican gubernatorial appointee, maybe Rep Goyke, a liberal Democrat from Milwaukee, you know, they know my emails causing trouble. So maybe I go to the bottom of the line to get my data. Well, you know, now that um, the, the tables have turned, I think you're going to see, I, I'm excited, you know, that email is going to be returned to me really quickly, you know, not just the data, but the conversation about what reforms are possible, what reforms have, uh, what policies have the administration's support. That ability to communicate as a Democrat, even though I'm in the minority, is totally different. Um, to be able to have statewide agencies advocating for the change that I'm advocating for changes the, the narrative altogether. All now, um, it's, there's going to be some growing pains. I, I, you know, you're still seeing in the first week, we had a number of bills come out that were either all Republican or all Democratic. So we haven't quite gotten the training wheels going yet. But what you're going to see and what I hope that I will play a role in is uh, in the criminal justice system, I do think that we're going to have some major successes. The first that we hope uh, will be a bill uh, that will be bipartisan that I've worked on uh, every year that I've been elected and it, and it changes how low-level offenders can petition to get their records expunged or, or sealed or wiped clean. And, um, but we have a process in Wisconsin that's unique uh, in, in America. It's flawed. The Supreme Court has wrestled with its flaws but has ultimately said the legislature must fix it. And the Public Policy Forum, the Badger Institute, so these are kind of think tanks that, that sometimes fall on different sides of issues, have both agreed. There's consensus. This needs to get fixed. We're going to put out a bill that has the support of the Americans for Prosperity and the ACLU. You know, dogs and cats living together. Uh, and I... I think we'll be able to pass it. I'm optimistic that we'll be able to pass it, and I hope that that's a blueprint for how we get additional criminal justice reforms done. And it's an area that we have to address. Uh, tonight, there are about 550 men that are sleeping in county jails that are serving state prison sentences. So they've been sentenced to prison, but there's absolutely no room. We're at about 140% capacity. It's 23,500 people in prison. So there's literally, you know, we've, we've taken the, the bunks, the, the, the rooms that were built for one person. We've added a second bed. There are places that are having guys sleep on inflatable air mattresses on the floor. But there's just simply absolutely no room. So we pay counties to take our overflow inmates. And that includes Milwaukee County, where there are nearly 100 
uh, prisoners serving uh, in county facilities. And that's as bad for a number of reasons. It's bad because it's expensive, but it's bad because those individuals aren't getting access to the type of programming that you do in a prison. When you when you get to prison, to your to ultimately to a prison where you may spend some more time, you know you get on lists for getting a GED, HSED, AODA treatment, parenting, cognitive intervention therapy, all of the things that we've taken the time to identify as a need, and a need to reduce your rate of reoffending. So these are these are things that make us safer. But by putting people in a, in a county jail where they don't have access to the same level of programming prevents that inmate from getting the type of programming that statistically makes it less likely for them to reoffend. So public safety in the long term is negatively impacted by this prison overcrowding. Not to mention, it's about $27,000 a day cash from the state to the counties for these extra room rentals. And that ultimately, if you do the math, is about $9 million a year straight cash. And that money would be much better spent on um, treatment. Or that, that $9 million alone is more than we spend on a very popular bipartisan program called Treatment Alternative and Diversion, a statewide program that, brings, that takes people that are better suited to get like uh, alcohol and other drug treatment rather than prison. So we spend more just on the overcrowding than we do on this statewide treatment program. And you're going to see efforts uh, by myself and I think by a number of Republicans to address the overcrowding. And then the key there is if we do that and we see the numbers begin to go down, uh, how do we spend that money? Can we reroute that $9 million that we're using to pay counties to rent overflow prison beds and can we put it into... Uh, proven programs that reduce crime. And that's ultimately the argument I'll be making. And I think we've seen some traction on both both sides of the aisle. So we've talked a lot about kind of the current state of the government from kind of a politician's viewpoint. Um, the podcast is really about how to inspire everyday citizens to get more engaged, give them some tools to better effectually change their community. Um, so I kind of want to segue to some questions sure. uh, around those issues. So I'm curious on... What are some effective ways that you have been um, lobbied by either an individual in your district or an organization in your district that has made you change your mind on an issue? Sure. And can some of these ways that people have lobbied you be replicated by you know everyone across the state to get more involved in the political process? Yeah, I, I, I want to tell you a story of a bill that I authored that passed that came from a constituent, and I'll try to be as fast as I can. I believe it was 2013, a number of constituents of mine in a neighborhood um, called Martin Drive on the west side of Milwaukee uh, asked that I get coffee with them at a little coffee shop called Birdie's. And I got coffee with them and it was maybe three or four or five constituents. And the issue that they brought forward is that between 35th Street and 40th Street on, on Valite, in a period of about a year, maybe four or five tobacco shops had opened up. And what happened in the, those blocks is you had uh, in, a major increase in uh, loitering, in drug activity, and you had these kind of little tobacco shops um, as little hubs of, of disturbances on the block, and the neighbors wanted to see what they could do about it because they went to City Hall, they petitioned their older person, and we learned that state law shielded 
uh, tobacco stores license to operate. There was very little that a local government could do. And we found when we looked kind of citywide that the worst perpetrator was in my very backyard on the corner of 27th and Kilbourne at a former Judy's Red Hots hot dog stand. You had this tobacco shop and the police had been called there for criminal activity over, it was like 300 times. So almost once a day, the police were being called to some, and it, what it was was essentially the parking lot had become an open-air drug market, and it spilled into the residential blocks north, south, east, and west. I met with this group in 2013 at the coffee shop, and we had to take, it took us maybe even a year, but we identified a state law that could be changed to tighten up the licenses of tobacco shops. And so it was, I think, 2014 we started to get this kind of ready for prime time, It took all of 2015 to build a coalition of people that wanted to work on this. And uh, we were aided by the Near West Side partners in in my neighborhood. So Miller, Harley, Marquette, Forest County, Potawatomi, and Aurora Sinai. And we put together a a political coalition. We had a Republican in the Senate, a Democrat in the Assembly, me. We we ran this bill through. We had to make several changes as, as to compromise as we went through, but got the bill passed. Um, we closed the tobacco shop on 27th and in Kilbourne. We've closed a couple more, but ultimately the goal wasn't closing shops down. What happens today in the city of Milwaukee is tobacco shops have to operate better establishments. They have to listen to their neighbors because just like a liquor store, they can now go in front of the common council and lose their license. Earth changing, maybe not, but it addressed a local problem and it came from constituents. It came from that coffee meeting. I would not have come up with this idea on my own. So if somebody's out there listening to this and they've got an idea, the two pieces of advice is to call your elected, ask to get a little FaceTime so that you can see them, that you can shake their hand, talk to them in person, and then and then be a little patient with the follow-through. I told the story of the tobacco shop in part because it took two years, two and a half years. Uh, the legislative process is slow. It was designed by the framers of our state constitution to be slow, to prevent the whim from moving the state too far in one political direction. And so you need to know that in order to change a state law, it it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. If I'm not in Assemblyman Goyke's district, who obviously is out here getting coffee with constituents and really cares about his constituents and the community, and I have another representative, how common is this attitude to be super engaged and go back to your district and make sure you're having FaceTime? If I, if I have a, another assembly or another senator, am I out of luck? Or is this kind of a common theme that you see? From- I, I think it's pretty common. I mean, when I talk to my coworkers, like if we're just sitting around and talking about our job or our life as, you know, we spend a lot of time together locked inside the state capitol. I think it's very common that elected officials will meet with their constituents. You know, you don't have to be a lobbyist. You don't have to be an expert. The, the group that came forward on the tobacco shops, they didn't know that this, there was a state law loophole on licensing. They just wanted their neighborhood to be a little bit better, a little less crime, a little bit more stable. I expect that all of my colleagues adhere to that same very low-level standard of meeting with the people that elected you. Mm-hmm. My advice is if somebody... It, it, it is also about approach, though. I mean, to be honest with you, if I got an email request from somebody who wanted to meet with me simply to 
literally yell at me and, and in the email expressed their disdain for my self or my position or whatever it is. It's not that I wouldn't meet with them, but you know, I'm going to be less inclined to jump at that opportunity than to brainstorm about solving a problem. And so let's say you're a liberal Democrat and you have a conservative Republican as a representative. You know, if you if you want to meet with them and advocate for raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, it's probably a non-starter. Ideologically, the two are very you know the two groups are going to be very different. And so my advice is figure out how you can begin the conversation about just raising the minimum wage at all. What what you know you want to get to fifteen, but would would your elected get to nine or what? Bring them examples that make you passionate for wanting to raise it and show them from their other constituents of what the limitations of seven twenty five an hour are. You know, it it doesn't need to be an all or nothing proposition. You know, the tobacco law was twisted and turned and you know, it wasn't exactly the way I would have written it if I had my way. But we but we got it done and you gotta be open to the compromise. Because even, you know, at that initial meeting, you got to be open to it. But if your elected agrees to work on something, they're going to need to be open to it because they got to convince 131 other people to agree with them, plus the governor, plus all their staff, you know. So if, if you, as you approach electeds, I, I just advise that you have as open of a mind and come to the table willing to compromise. And if they don't meet with you, you should beat them up for it because that's that's a, a pretty low-hanging fruit core function of representative democracy. If somebody runs for office but in turn won't meet with the people that has elected them, they should not be in office. So going back to the t- tobacco story, you mentioned how uh, the group originally, or at least part of the process, was going to their city officials. They couldn't get the job done because of the law, so then they went to the state officials. So I'm curious on what the relationship is between uh, elected officials at the state level and then elected officials at the city level. Is there a lot of collaboration uh, amongst you and you know alder people or the mayor? I think the mayor might even be your he's my constituent. Yes, uh, so that's a that's an in, it's an intimidating. He, no, he's my boss. <laughs> he's boss uh, it's an intimidating door to knock on. You know, when I was first campaigning, you know. <laughs> Who's going to ask me about my policy stance on X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Uh, I have a great relationship with the older persons that I serve with. I represent uh, a, a district that intersects four uh, aldermanic districts in the city of Milwaukee. It's important that state-level folks have a good relationship because in Milwaukee, at least, we're a city of older persons. You know, I go door to door. It's humbling to, to remember how many people you know, don't follow state politics and don't know who I am, which is fine. But they know they're older person, you know. They know they're they know that number, and they call them a lot. And so we get constituent casework a lot of times. So say you called the alderman's office on a, a tax issue. Well, it's unless it's a property tax bill. If it's an income tax issue, that is the state. And um, I've developed a good relationship with the aldermanic districts or the, my alder persons that they'll send it to me, and we'll get that. So I'll call up constituents and say, "Hey, you don't know who I am, but." Uh, Alderman Murphy sent us your casework, so we're handling it for you. Thank you. You know, and, and and vice versa. This weekend, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow I have a voicemail of somebody that's not happy with having gotten a parking ticket based on snow emergency rules. State law does not control Milwaukee's snow emergency rules. 
uh, I will direct them kindly and nicely to the alder, the correct aldermanic yeah. office. Yeah. So everyone listening to the podcast now, do not <laughs> don't call. call me. Not my fault. Uh, but no, we we work well together. And then um, at the local level, the city council has a policy committee, and they vote to take positions on state legislation. And then the city has an office called the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, and they communicate with us. So the city may take a position on the tobacco bill. And I've worked very closely with the city's intergovernmental affairs folks. And, and you know, last session, we got a bill passed working with a Republican from Sheboygan, Terry Kotzma, on um, foreclosed homes. And we worked on a bill on how and whom they can get sold to on the back end of the process. Uh, we had a bunch of uh, irresponsible property owners gobbling up dozens and dozens of uh, properties for cheap. Uh, and they weren't paying their property taxes or fixing up their buildings appropriately, largely in the central city and near south and near north sides. And we put in a new law at the state level that said you can't buy a house at sheriff sale if you have outstanding property taxes on other properties or if you have outstanding judgments for building code violations that you haven't addressed and it was just and you know it impacted the central city the most uh the city city hall the alder persons directed their intergovernmental affairs folks to work with us and they were instrumental from day one to the to the end so kind of switching gears here um and talking about more about your your district and representation um, I think the district is probably majority people of color. Yes, for sure. Um, so I'm curious on what you've learned being white male, representing uh, people of color, and what has that taught you maybe on the campaign trail, some interesting mm-hmm. conversations you've had, and just in general, like, you know, how important is uh, representatives of color as a whole in the state? It's, yeah, you, you ask an incredibly emotional and intimate question, one that's not easy to answer or to to deal with. I love where I live. I love the neighborhood. Uh, my wife and I bought a giant old abandoned foreclosed property. We love it. We don't want to go anywhere. I love the job that I have. I don't want to do another job at this point in my life. Um, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I represent a district that previously was represented by uh, African-American representative, um, the late Tamara Grigsby, who was, was just an amazing woman, an amazing legislator. You know, I, the way I approach this sensitive issue uh, is I try to earn the honor of representing folks that look like me, that don't look like me every day. I try as hard as I can. I try to work twice as hard as maybe I otherwise would um, because I think that the community deserves that from their representative. Uh, personally, it has changed my, I mean, it, it has been one of the best blessings, you know, hidden that I didn't even think about when I moved to Milwaukee to, you know, my childhood and, and adolescence, I was not in diverse circles at all, at all. My life here in Milwaukee, you know, opening my eyes uh, to the reality of the segregation and poverty and the reality. I don't, I don't for one second claim to know what it's like to be black in the city of Milwaukee. I don't claim for one second to know that I, or claim that I can understand what one day in the life of my constituency is. Uh, I can only work on solutions to make things better as as hard and 
as long as I can as, as I'm in office. What I will tell you is that the neighborhoods that I represent that are majority African-American and there are some that are in, you know, have a, an, an incredible majority are, are probably, in my experience, going door to door, the nicest areas and the nicest people and the message that I've been taught that I try to teach others that look like me that I work with in Madison is that what is portrayed on the news media and what is seen and felt and the stereotypes and the inherent racism that so many people have is all wrong. It's all garbage. It's toxic. And showing up, listening to folks that don't look like you can be one of the most incredible gifts that you can give yourself. It has been to me. Um, I take this question really, it's, it's challenging, it's hard. Do I think somebody should be entitled to their seat because they look a certain way? No, I think the voters should be able to have a choice. Uh, I'm incredibly proud that in my past election this summer, I carried uh, every ward except one, including some that are you know 90% plus African-American, and I did it by going door to door. I did it by showing results in Madison. but. It's a topic that um, should be addressed, it should be debated, it should be hard for me to answer this question um, because the representation does matter. Uh, and, and I think that if I were to ever feel myself slowing down or not having the fire to get up and go to Madison and get things done, that it would be absolutely time to step away. Now that's true for any elected official if they don't have the fire in the belly, but I think maybe equally or doubly as important for me, given the seat that I represent. One of my last questions is um, about what the, the state can do to try and get more people engaged. Um, I think a lot of times the, the onus is put on individuals to get involved in the political process. We're obviously all for that uh, here on the podcast, but uh, sometimes there's certain obstacles, and I think sometimes people in positions of power make it so it's a little harder to get engaged. So is there anything that you or the state is working on to maybe increase civic engagement across the state, increase voter participation, uh, just increase general engagement with the political process? Yeah, I, I really want to give credit to Governor Evers and Lieutenant Governor Barnes. After the election, they did a listening tour around the state, and I, I was only able to attend the one here in Milwaukee, um, but it was different. It was so different than any other hearing or town hall, normally what happens is you get a big gymnasium full of people and you have one microphone and if you want to weigh in on the topic, you got to get up in front of 200 people and speak. And I think in general that makes people uncomfortable and folks are nervous that they're not going to sound informed. And so that generally what happens, the same 50 people weigh in on the same 50 issues and, and then the 150 people in attendance don't feel like they got heard or that they've got a way to really engage. And so what the governor did is really flipped it on, on its head. And there were these, you got, there were four policy areas. You got to choose which policy area you went in. I think it was four or five. And then there was this just basically like an hour long dialogue in a small group fashion. There wasn't fancy people in suits leading it. It was just normal folks. It was you know, was not pretentious or over the top. You know, you just talked. And 
what the groups did were then synthesize what happened and what issues were addressed in the small group and then that kind of went forward and ultimately what's happening is kind of a, a large report of what was brought forward. I think it was a far more accessible format to reach state government than you know the gymnasium town hall types. I've been told that they're going to keep doing that. You know, so I'm, I want to give them credit for it. I think it's an idea that I'd like to steal and replicate because uh, it worked. It worked great, at least my experience and the, the, the folks that were around me. It was great. I, I will say this: when things get moving, it is incredibly hard to do both. You know, one of the challenges of my job is that to be good at my job, often I must be out of my district, under the dome of the state capitol in Madison. How do I communicate? with them and be present on call in Madison. You know, it, it is this real challenge. And, you know, we spoke before we got started about ways to use media to communicate like things like this podcast or, or, or video or social media. But that often only tells a fraction of the story of what's really going on. So there, there is this uh, tension between being in Madison and being plugged in and being, you know, wonky and in the weeds of what's happening with individual bills and not, you know, that pulls you away from home base. So uh, going forward, what I would like to do personally, what I want to do is, uh, because I'm on the Joint Committee on Finance, the Budget Writing Committee, um, I want to make myself available in, in communities throughout the city of Milwaukee to really discuss and describe what's happening much less my interest is is to just disseminate information to be as much of a teacher as i can for what's happening and why and what to expect and then you know hopefully partner with other local elected officials other state reps and senators to have to have them be on board to capture some of the the desires of the people in their district but i have a unique and intimate view of the state budget the state budget spends about Forty billion dollars a year, so it is the critical document we vote on. I mean, it is the the, the biggest piece of the pie, and so um, you know it's critical that I use that role to disseminate information as global as I can. And I guess my last question is kind of giving you space to to plug anything that uh, you're either working on. How can people get in contact with you? I know you do the Glazer Report, which I always check out. And how do people access that document? So sure. Well, I would encourage. I would encourage you, if you're interested, to go to my uh, legislative website. If you go to the campaign one, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I got to have to have some work to do after this podcast. Uh, but if you go to the state legislative uh, website, uh, which is legis uh, l e g i s dot wisconsin gov, you'll find my page. The only goiki in the in the legislature. There are a couple of documents that I'd encourage you to take a look at. One is. Um, something that I wrote uh, a year ago about Milwaukee. Uh, I entitled it A Bridge to Wisconsin's Future. And it captures a lot about what's happening in the city of Milwaukee, what our local economy means to the state, what are some of our assets and challenges. I interviewed some of my constituents to reflect what they like and dislike about uh, living in the city and then outline, outline some high-level policy that I'll be working on. Um, there's a piece on that same area called Inmate 501 that describes uh, the need to reform the criminal justice system, and it talks about prison overcrowding and what we can do about it. Um, and then, yeah, the, what, what was mentioned is that, you know, we try to put out a monthly newsletter about what I'm up to. I try to keep it, you know, detail-oriented about what I am specifically working on. I, 
I, I don't use that time and space to tell you what to think about the president. You can come up with your own opinions on your own. It's not that hard. Uh, and so I'll try to give you a view of what it's like to, to follow me around for a month uh, as best I can. And, uh, and then stay tuned because we, we will be looking at putting out content on how does government work? Why, why, why are things structured the way they are? And under those structures, what, what, what could we do better to change it? So uh, stay tuned for... Uh, potentially a rival podcast, maybe. Oh, I don't know oh, if that's gonna. I don't know if it's gonna come yeah. to fruition. All of the uh, listeners give it one star. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. It'll be a short-lived <laughs> and failed endeavor. But um, I, I think going forward, uh, stay tuned for criminal justice uh, reform. I think that's going to be a big focus of bipartisan support this session. It needs to be. It's time in Wisconsin that we do this and address the issue, and uh, hope to play a major role in that. And then, yeah, stay tuned for some work on the budget as we go forward. Wonderful. Well, uh, Assemblyman Goyke, thank you so much for your service and for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was a really great conversation with Representative Goyke. And there's one thing that he said that I really want to just give a little more attention to. And that was uh, during his discussion of the Martin Drive residents coming together to effectuate change in their community. You know, he said when he first met with those five residents, they weren't experts. They just wanted to make their community better. And I think that was really refreshing to hear, particularly in today's political climate where we, I feel like we sometimes forget just the core function of good governance and the core function of being an active citizen, you know, we created all these institutions to help make our communities better. And I think the farther we drift away from that idea, the worse governance gets and the worse politics gets and the worse our citizenry gets. Coming together with people to make your community better is really what the heart of government and active citizenship should be. And it was refreshing to hear that those efforts still pay off. And it was also refreshing to hear that when you meet with legislators, they aren't expecting you to be an expert. They're expecting you to be the eyes, the ears, the heart of your community and let them know what's going on. And, and Representative Goyke said how there's you know this tension between him being in Madison and him being in Milwaukee. And it really made me understand that a crucial element of a functioning you know, state legislative body is an engaged populace because it's impossible for electors to be in two places at once. And so it really is incumbent upon both the people and the electeds to make sure that they're available for one another and have open lines of communication. Uh, I think in 2018 and even now in 2019, we've seen what large gatherings of really dedicated, normal people can do when they come together and make their voices heard. And so, with that being said, an action step everyone can take is to figure out who their elected officials are at the state level. And if you go to myvote.we.gov or legis, L-E-G-I-S, .we.gov, you can find out all that information just by typing in your address. And send your legislator an email about an issue you care about and try and connect and discuss it. So that takes us to the end of this episode with Assemblyman of the 18th District, Evan Goyke. We really want to thank Representative Goyke for being on the podcast, discussing some really important topics, offering his insight, and encouraging everyone to get more involved in state government. And be on the lookout for a competing, in the words of Representative Goyke, a competing podcast he's putting out, which I think now has a title called State to State. Um, So be on the lookout for that. And as a final reminder, our political open mic event, open to everyone, 
with Nuwaki will be on March 21st at Mobcraft Brewery at 6 p.m. You can go to Nuwaki.com for more information and to RSVP for that event. And we're really hoping to see you there. And also, please rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. Okay, all those things help other people discover the podcast. Or better yet, send a mass text to every single person you know in your contact list to the Bridge to City website, okay? I guarantee your friends, family, random people you still have in your phone are going to appreciate that gesture greatly. They're probably going to get you a gift for, for putting them on to such an amazing podcast. So do that for us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope to see you at the Political Mike events. And as always, thanks for helping. Bridge the city. Bridge the city. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the city. Yeah. Bridge the city. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city. The city. Bridge the city.